0: what's up everyone welcome back to the respawn point podcast it has been a while um this is episode eight i think episode seven was recorded somewhat over five months ago um you know life happens sometimes and you know it's it's okay now we're back um i'm back this episode is gonna be a little bit different this is just me today uh, matt and misha unfortunately we're not able to Um, Get here, but I wanted to record a episode and get it out So you guys had something to listen to and know that we have returned So today instead of talking about a bunch of different topics that's going on in the entertainment world, you know cinema movies television um, Gaming we're just gonna do two simple reviews. I'm gonna do a movie review and I'm gonna do a game review and then I just have one topic that I kind of want to talk about because it's just something that has happened to me in recent um, in the recent days so um to start off if you're brand new listening to this i appreciate you guys listening um thank you for listening to us on itunes or if you're on soundcloud make sure you hit that subscribe button um you know leave us five stars and a comment we greatly appreciate it review and if you need to find us at all on twitter you can reach us at RP Podcast live so that's Al on twitter at RP Podcast Live. Okay, okay. So, the movie I want to review today is Flatliners. It came out uh, a few weeks ago. Um, the game I want to review is Destiny Two. That's a big game that has come out. A lot of people are playing it. The PC review, or excuse me, the PC re- release, comes out in a few weeks. So, this is a good time for anyone who plays on the PC. If you want to listen to what I have to say. Um, and maybe listen to some other podcasts or guys that you, you watch maybe on Twitch or YouTube. But this is kind of give you an idea of what I think of the game so far. And um, as for the topic for today's episode, I kind of want to talk about um, digital games and there being a sense of consumer protection when it comes to people buying digital games. Because... And these times it seems like digital is reigning supreme. Um, People just download games straight from Steam, straight from the PlayStation, Xbox store. Um, You can even get digital games from Amazon now. It just seems like going to the store, going to GameStop, going to Target, going to Walmart, and buying a physical copy of the game just is kind of getting outdated. Um, I know I have plenty of digital games. I also have plenty of disc games. Um, disc games are fine. I like them. They, you know, if I want to take it to my friend's house, we could do that. If I want to, you know, if I don't like it, I want to trade it in. I can do that. With digital games, it's kind of this in between area where if you have a digital game, can you return it, or should you be able to return it, and if so, how? how How does that work um, so that's something we're we'll get to later, but to start things off, I want to talk about flatliners so what happens at what happens after we die that's that's the question and at the age of science and reason it's hard to accept. You know old-fashioned ideas like walking around in the clouds and burning in fire and brimstone but so far it's been all but impossible to actually research the afterlife because well that's what happens after life if we knew about it now we wouldn't need to research it in the first place so the premise of Flatliners both the original and the remake is a smart one again this is the remake um, so a group of medical students uh, they're seeking both you know thrills and glory. they they kill each other and then immediately bring each other back to life. Um, I don't know about you guys listening, but that does not sound something like something I want to uh, uh, participate in. So the near-death experiences kind of give each of these students a new appreciation of their, you know their fleeting existence, and also firsthand knowledge of what happens afterwards. And since this is also kind of a horror movie, they also bring back deadly physical manifestations of their greatest shames, which is I guess a kind of cool twist to the movie. Um, and and this new kind of giving you like a a premise. I watched the original one about a week before I saw the new one, so. The new Flatliner is a good movie until it tries to scare you, which, to the film's credit, is quite a while. Um, Niels Arden Oplev, I think is how you pronounce his last name. His version of Flatliner takes it time, kind of introducing the characters and establishing med school as a high-pressure environment. You know that kind of attracts all kinds of people, you know, the anxious and the cocky, the competitive and the obsessive and convincing the audience that these desperate people might actually think it's a pretty good idea to die for science or, I mean, even just for the hell of it. And of course the exploration of spiritual issues through scientific progress, I mean, it goes all the way back to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And it's it's kind of just as intriguing and relevant as ever. You know, Flatliners is at its best when it's an old-fashioned sci-fi yarn, you know, complete with headsets covered in little Christmas lights, um, dramatizing that thin line between actual science and so-called, you know, mad science, as you would, which is driven more by, you know, ambition and obsession than you know, anything resembling common sense, but about halfway through Flatliners, the gross, (laughs) excuse me, the ghost of screw-ups past show up and the film devolves into a series of familiar uh, horror movie cliches with uh, ghosts in the background, creepy noises coming out of radios and tearful confessions into camera phones. Um, The complex ideas that Flatliners introduced in the first half give way to a simplistic sort of moral parable. Um, It's a preachy how do I put it? Um, It kind of It kind of goes about a way where it talks about, you know, the importance of living morally in an increasingly aesthetic world um, in which the afterlife may not, you know, have a bouncer at the front door checking to see if you were good enough to get your name on the list, but you should still try, you know, to be a good person anyway. Um, And that's a good message, no doubt about it, but it feels like an afterthought in a film that seemed to have more on its mind than that. Um, the ensemble cast is game for anything, uh, and sells you know, every scene to the best of their ability, which is to say some better than others, but they're let down by a film that like the original cuts away the best parts of itself in order to satisfy an artificial need to be scary, um, instead of smart. So, to kind of wrap all that up. Flatliners it had an op- it had every opportunity to improve on the original and it doesn't take most of them. It falls flat as a horror movie, but the cast is good enough and the sci-fi concepts are interesting enough um to keep it crashing completely or to, you know, flatline. <laughs> so, my rating on this movie Flatliners, scale of 1 to 10, I'm going to have to give this a 5. Again, it's mediocre, um, and the big thing is that it squanders its potential due to its embrace of horror movie cliches, and that, that just isn't what I was expecting and hoping and really caring for for that movie. Um, but to transition into a positive, we have Destiny 2. This game is on PS4 and Xbox One. It comes out for PC, I believe, the 20th of October. Don't quote me on that, but it's definitely later in the month. Um, and this game. Certainly can stand on its own, does not have any of the problems that you would expect it to have carrying over from Destiny 1. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. As mentioned before, you know, Destiny 2 succeeds where the original Destiny failed the most. Um, its delivery of a story-driven campaign, good enough to match its finely tuned, you know, FPS gameplay, and it looks great. Um, gathering loot and upgrades through missions and activities, you know, with my fire team, and then finally running the climactic raid together. I mean, it was it was a blast. I'd have to say, you know, and every time I thought my friends and I were scraping the bottom of the content barrel, Destiny Two. Um, just happen to tease us with more uh than just a few light levels away. So from the opening moments, Destiny two delivers Dominus Gaul. Um he is an excellent antagonist who whose cruelty earns our fury by you know taking away everything that had been built up in Destiny and its expansions. Um, including our guardian's light, the campaign um, that follows is filled, you know, with brilliant cutscenes that give the cast an opportunity to show great emotional range, and you can hear the sadness and um, and determination in their voices. Uh, Zavala, one of the characters played by Lance Reddick, is you know he is unwavering in his plan to assault Gaul. Um While Ikora, another character who is played by Gina Torres, seems almost distraught and near the point of giving up, Um, that context gives both new and returning players, I think, a sensible reason to climb, um, as you you would, the light-level base power ladder, whether it's for the first time or all over again. Uh, it certainly kept me moving forward through fun missions set in uh, eye-catching environments, including the, um, what was it, including one of the first super exhilarating missions. It's just the environment is, it's just phenomenal. Um, and while this is all happening, there's this soaring soundtrack, you know, backed by pulse-pounding missions before you know, shifting gears to evoke a tinge of sadness, uh, the sound design for sure is impeccable, uh, overall with these rewarding splashes of, uh, you know, like glimmer each time you open a chest for, uh, and then it transitioned or into like a silencing of the ambient noise when you aim down sights. So every adjustment is important and it gives you the audio information you need instead of overwhelming you with everything at once which I think was a big issue in Destiny 1. So to challenge us on the way back to the top, Bungie's laid out a wide range of avenues um, that includes um, public events, PVP, uh, in the Crucible, roaming world bosses, treasure chests, lost sectors, um, adventure side quests, patrols, planet specific challenges, flashpoints, Vanguard Missions Exotic Quest Strikes which is Destiny's dungeons basically the Nightfall which is a more elaborate take on strikes and um of course the Leviathan raid which is you know the biggest most complex dungeon if you were to think of it in that context uh, and especially early on there's so much to do it's almost almost overwhelming. Um, I certainly found myself frequently getting distracted from the activity I embarked upon by something else that's enticing like a roaming boss or a public event that promised you know some pretty quick loot and uh, it's a good problem to have I'd say in that I never felt bored but you know kept in mind these all seem targeted toward early light level guardians. While all these battles will help you get to level 265, climbing to the max of 350, um, which the cap indicates in in some of the menu tips, is going to require tackling much more tougher challenges like the Leviathan, Nightfall, and the the Trials of the Nine, or the Endgame, in other words. Um, But for me, the campaign was my first priority. Since the story had hooked me so well early on. Um, But after around 10 hours of build up. The final encounter fizzled out a bit. Um, Due to some awkward super ability restrictions. I had to resort to finding a safe spot. And then shooting the ultimate enemy in the foot until he died. Um, It seems as though the encounter was meant for projectile supers. But. You know, without any way of knowing that going in, I hadn't yet earned one that could do effective damage, um, and it was especially odd. It wasn't an especially odd problem to have because Bungie has in the past shown that Destiny Two and and their designers know how to make strikes and raid bosses, you know, interesting from a mechanical perspective, making the boss portion of the ending a surprising disappointment um in what was an otherwise fantastic run I'd say thankfully the excellent quest and more elaborate strikes that followed the campaign come with much improved boss encounters and an extra dose of quality lore which I really which I really enjoyed and after the campaign ends you can still experience some Some new story events via additional quests on each of the four planetoid locations in Destiny 2. Um, These not only flesh out the intriguing new characters we met there, but also do a good job of sort of guiding you into new spots you may have missed um, and fun encounters built to be played with a three person fire team if you are part of one. They also end... Uh, With big rewards, like exotic quests and coveted legendary items, making them a great way to continue your climb to max light. Uh, Personally, I'm hoping that Bungie doubles down on these with even more quests, either daily or weekly, as some left me wanting more. Um, And to kind of get into more detail, the four world maps do a fantastic job of setting the tone too, whether it's the milky waterfalls of Nessus or the overgrown European dead zone, each offers kind of sort of a colorful and unique palette to explore as you acquire their plentiful loot. And then adding to that, there are also items scattered throughout each destination, offering snippets of lore about the location and gear sets. You can acquire, uh, by turning in tokens. Earned from the above activities in exchange for reputation at that destination's vendor. Bungie, understandably, wants to encourage everyone to take all of this in. um, But goes a little too far by withholding the fast moving Sparrow bikes for too long, I think. um, Which kind of forces you to walk through the game, you know, the first time. Um, unless you get lucky and get one in a drop or pay for one via, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, via um, Bright Ingrams. Uh, so, the first Destiny is a strong FPS, first person shooter, built using expertise from Bungie's days, you know, obviously developing the Halo series, Um, But subtle touches have made a big difference to me in Destiny 2, when it comes to making moment-to-moment combat more explosive and exciting. So, for example, popping an enemy's shield with the right damage, the right damage type can—it kind of causes it to hit it, hit nearby allies with um, AOE damage, area of effect damage, and And if you happen to score a headshot on like a fallen treats you to like a light show, um, as its soul, like kind of escapes its body. Um, and then both for me are welcome, burst of validation and destiny Two dishes these out and dishes, these types of visual and gameplay rewards left and right, which I certainly enjoyed. And while there's not. There aren't a ton of different weapon types. Um, The constant gear drops and game-changing exotic weapons and upgrades, um, they do certainly propel your power level higher, uh, which again is creating that feeling of growing strength readiness to take on all challengers whether you're playing PvP or PvE. And um, like for example, when I equip my Titan. with the Actium War Rig exotic chess piece, it, that, it automatically re- reloads a portion of the ammo in your assault rifle over time. It increased my damage output dramatically um, in a way that was more interesting than simply boosting the damage value on each bullet. Um, alternatively, the Rat King hand cannon grants you invisibility if you reload immediately after a kill and destiny 2 is full of items like these and earning them feels like an achievement because of how much they can change your play um the gear chase has some rocky parts though uh, because destiny 2 doesn't take the time to really explain how upgrades and infusion systems work especially for newer players Um, and then mods can be a bit confusing at first because you have to absorb a lot of obscure rules for instance if the mods are legendary, they'll add 5 attack power to your gear. However, if they don't have a mod attached, you can still infuse a rare weapon into a legendary weapon and see a light level increased. Is that, I mean, it sounds confusing, right? That's because it is. But once you get acquainted with the math, it's a little more comprehensible. Um, if you don't want to have the same frustration at Wasted Progress that I did, I definitely would recommend checking out uh, maybe a Destiny 2 reddit post or wiki guide on tips on how to you know, effectively infuse your weapons. Um, and then Destiny 2's approach to the shader system, which allows you to customize colors of your various pieces of gear and weaponry, is also kind of confusing and awkward because it encouraged you to wait before applying any customization to your gear. Instead of a shader color being something reusable, which you unlock, you know, and then apply it to whatever you like, they're now considered consumables that must be individually earned as loot or purchased you know, via the Eververse Trading Company, and and this feels at odds with Destiny 2's focus on, you know, striving to involve or evolve your weapons and armor, and I found myself simply. Kind of like holding on to my shaders until I had enough to not even worry about coloring a piece of gear, only to replace it when a better item comes along minutes later. And um, also purchasable from the Eververse are the Bright Ingram's Destiny 2's version of um, of a premium loot box per se. They can include these boxes can include items like cosmetically different ships sparrows, um, some of which have different stats, mods, weapon skins, exotic emotes, and, and so much more. And it seems like a place where Bungie could have gone wrong by prodding you to spend you know real money to get more, but so far that doesn't seem, uh, doesn't appear to be the case. And you are given free bright ingrams each time you fill up your experience bar, after hitting character level 20, so you should still feel like they're in plentiful supply even if you opt not to spend money. You can also break down Eververse items for dust that will allow you to purchase from a rotating inventory of similar uh, similar items. So Destiny's, Destiny 2's three character classes, um, Titan, Warlock, and Hunter have all been simplified relative to destiny. Each of their subclass trees now only include an upper or lower path path power path, excuse me, with a few grenade jumping and power options, but that's not enough so that each still has distinct abilities and play styles that work well together in, um, traditional tank support and damage dealer roles. So figuring out how to use subtle customizations and weapon pairings to make the most of your chosen build is still a uh, rewarding puzzle to solve. For example, as a Titan, you can build into an Arc Damage type subclass, which could then receive a boost from a Warlock that's using Arc projectiles. If you if you plan that properly, the Hunter's Dodge seems almost kind of underpowered in the early stages though since the other classes abilities have a clear immediate benefit to them um, it's still something i'm trying to figure out Uh, and then while the titan starts with a shield that protects everyone and the warlock has a healing or damage buff ability the hunter is left with a uh, relatively weak dodge move that reloads or can recharge their melee but does nothing for the team it isn't until uh, they unlock a certain pair of exotic boots that reload everyone's ammo um, which they can fully contribute to the team in a way other than um, direct damage I would say so it's it's unfortunate that while the first subclass which allows you to specialize your character is well integrated into the leveling experience with a story event of, I would say appropriate gravity, um, others just drop like an ordinary piece of loot I think it was a missed opportunity to kind of tell a story about reacquiring your powers, similar to the way Destiny's Taken King DLC, um, kind of gifted you with your new abilities. So once done doing world events to power up these random pickups, um, things get better and you embark upon a more interesting quest to get a bit of a backstory delivered by your vanguard leader. Um, but these moments don't really compare to the grandness that destiny one had. Um, The biggest change to the overall game balance is is a smart adjustment to one hit kill power weapons. For the most part, they're a blast to use, Um, watching an upward sword strike that sends the embers of your enemy flickering off in the distance feels like it'll never get old. Um, In the PvE areas, the bright purple ammo packs that power of these weapons are in constant supply, um, letting you know um, that you don't have to worry I guess that um, your power weapon would be not useful. Um, On the other hand, in competitive game types, power ammo can only be acquired by one team member each time it spawns, so you have to make each use count in order to win effectively. And this leads to more powerful moments and I think fewer cheap deaths um, in that perspective. Thankfully thankfully though, the more um, conventional kinetic and energy weapons feel well balanced across the board, which kind of gives you different archetypes to choose from for each weapon type. So, excuse me, the Suros auto rifles, for example, have a higher rate of fire than the Omalan weapons, but reduced range, stability, and handling stats. Um, Some auto-rifles have, uh, I think it's like the Vest, the Vest auto-rifles have the highest rate of fire and better reload speed, but again, at that cost of range and stability. So each of the weapon types has these subtle differences, which allows you to create loadouts that complement your character's armor stats, or exotic abilities for the best, efficiently, the best efficiency um, possible. Um, I'm not going to talk much about the raid because some people still have not done it yet so I don't want to give any spoilers away especially for those on PC um, that are just kind of holding off all spoiler talk because I certainly don't want to be the one that uh, ruins that experience for you. Um, But it does have a few Different mechanics and new mechanics that hasn't been introduced yet. So look out for those Um, Let me know what you think whenever you do the raid and Maybe we can talk about it on a later episode so My verdict um, is That destiny 2 is a blast out of the gate thanks to its excellent co-op shooter gameplay and strong storytelling in the campaign. Uh, Not all of the features I'd expected to find are here, but it does deliver the same kind of highly social gameplay and uh, rewarding loot-driven progression that helped the the original game keep me hooked for hundreds of hours. Um, The main concerns right now are a few bugs and lack of event options. Kind of like those adventures like I don't really seem to have any reward for doing them So I need to know why I'm doing this. What is the benefit? Um, but I'll definitely be sticking around to see this big action-packed universe develop over time so my My rating for this is gonna be eight out of ten um, For all the things I mentioned earlier and of ten it has um Excellent co-op and competitive shooting uh, the loot is very rewarding and there is se- certainly a strong social element that will keep me and my fire team and everyone I think playing the game so um, The final thing I want to talk about is Going back to digital game buying and um, Kind of an issue that I have with it that I've been dealing with Um, kind of on a personal level when it comes to the, those games. So you, you buy a game digitally, um, it's, it's buggy as hell. You ask around about refund policies and you're told, uh, well, maybe don't buy a game without reading reviews by people who are 10 hours in. Um, it's like, why, why are people who buy a game on a release? Not afforded a reasonable expectation of consumer protection. This is this is kind of the issue that um, that I'm talking about. Um, why do people like? Why do we need people to take a bullet first? Why why is there this idea in gaming culture that anyone who buys a game and finds out it's buggy is, is like an idiot, or is is seen um, as an idiot? Honestly, and And who do you think writes these reviews you so smartly read uh, before purchase that told you the game was broken? You know, uh, hi, it's me, I do. Um, The guy who bought the game day one, as soon as it came out, only to find that it was woefully buggy. Um, And if every single person interested in the game waited until there were 10 hours of progress reviews, those reviews would never would exist Um, if anything shouldn't early adopters have more of an expectation of consumer protection since we didn't have these sort of reviews and information on which to make these informed decisions players you know players shouldn't be treated like idiots who you know deserve a broken game because they buy it on launch a game should be as unbroken as possible on launch and and that's it minor bugs are one thing but completely game breaking glitches, saving bugs, soft locks, hard locks. These, these are unacceptable problems that I, that I would like a reasonable expectation of protection from and, and granted Sony has given me four refunds or so in my time using their products Um, each time for games that either didn't work as expected or were so unacceptably poorly made that they shouldn't have gone up for sale in the first place luckily sony uh, you know despite claiming these refunds as uh as one time they they understand that the consumer should have a reasonable expectation that a game won't be uh, broken when they buy it um but but what of everyone else uh even sony could stand to treat the better issue Um, and we all have had our experiences with sony or microsoft but at least they usually um, acquiesce and and give you a break and that can even be said for physical games as well Um, but I can't I can't take a digital only indie game back to the store and you know tell the board service desk clerk who doesn't care that doesn't work properly and give me my money back but I can do that with with any physical title on the market and assuming the store isn't Staff by complete sticklers, they, you know they'll take it back and market for salvage or send it back to the company it came from. Um, Target is, in particular, is a bit weird about this, um, taking damaged, defective goods and sending them uh, to Goodwill of all places. Um, but most major stores will, in fact, take back a game that is buggy, as it is a product that does not work as intended. Um, At the very least they will offer you store credit but digital buyers where's our consumer protection this is this is something that i i want to engage with the community on i'll definitely talk with um, my co-host about that and this is something that we will probably talk about in the future but this is kind of just me planting the seed Um, again if you guys have any ideas or thoughts on this you know you can tweet me or tweet the podcast. Again, the podcast is at RP Podcast Live, and you can tweet me personally um, at Kyle that Kyle underscore. And yeah, so you buy a digital game; it's buggy as hell, broken, doesn't work. Where is our um, our sense of consumer protection? So, with that being said, I want to thank everyone who's made it this far in the episode. I know it could, um, not as engaging when it's just me by myself, but I appreciate you guys that have sticked out this long. I hope you had some thoughts as I talked and certainly let me know what you thought about them and, and for now, that's the end of this episode and we will see you next time on Respawn Point. Thanks again. And see ya.